Welcome to the Stop Dieting Podcast, hosted by best-selling, award-winning author and renowned weight loss expert, David Medansky. If you struggle to lose weight or you've lost weight and gained it back, you'll want to listen each week. Each week, you will learn tips for healthy weight loss without going on a diet, without having to follow an exercise program, without counting calories, or having to purchase special meals or products. The Stop Dieting Podcast is more than just about healthy and sustainable weight loss. You will also learn how you can have more energy, feel better, get rid of brain fog, and improve your overall health. Stay tuned for another informative and insightful episode. And if you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe and share this with your friends. Hi, everyone. This is David Medansky with Stop Dieting. And today on this episode, we have Sherry Edwards with us. Can you introduce yourself to us, Sherry? Hi, David. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for having me on your show. So my name is Sherry Edwards. I am a sports performance nutrition coach, and I specifically work with master's athletes. So anyone over 35, but most of my clients are about over 40s to help them increase sports performance and uh, improve body composition and improve the relationship with food and their bodies, really. And how do you help them improve their relationship with food? Well, I use nutrition science, but that is really 10% of the work that I do. 90% of the work that I do, it's more about creating habits and behaviors that help them align with their values and, and their goals. So it's just kind of picking one or two habits each week and, you know, really focusing on those actions and repeating them over and over again until they start to feel natural so that you don't have to depend on motivation to to change your life, basically. Do you find that a lot of them have bad habits that need to be corrected? I wouldn't necessarily say bad habits, but I do find that one of the most common challenges in in athletes or people in the fitness and health and fitness industry, and you'll probably see this yourself, David, is that people have this very restrictive mentality and attitude towards food. And so because there's that kind of mindset towards food, you find people try to enter deficits and try to be, you know, have like a quote unquote healthy, perfect diet from Mondays through to Friday, and then they basically cave. So that kind of seems to be the pattern that is emerging. And so I help people kind of break that pattern down. So it's not like being perfect for four to five days and then, you know, falling off the wagon or whatnot. It's just kind of, you know, building habits around it so that it is consistent so that you can consistently eat well, but not perfectly, if that makes sense. Well, it makes perfect sense. That's what I advocate. That's why I tell people I'm not a food purist. And I, I'm not perfect. I enjoy a piece of chocolate cake or pumpkin pie or pecan pie every once in a while. However, instead of eating the whole slice like I used to, I eat a small sliver so I can enjoy it. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly it. So how did you get into working with athletes and into nutrition and health? Well, I have always been into fitness and health. I was a yoga teacher for 19, 20 years, almost actually 19 years, I think. And I've only just stopped teaching yoga last year so I can completely full-time go into nutrition. And I, I guess the sort of master's athlete division, I just kind of fell into because that's, you know, my age category. Me and my husband were both in our forties and it just felt like the natural thing to do because it was one of those 
questions that kept emerging, people saying, okay, you know, why am I gaining weight in my 40s? What's going on? So you look at, you know, people often don't want to think that they're gaining weight because of their behaviors. It's a really hard pill to swallow because it means that you have to accept that your behaviors are what is responsible for your body changing. And that's that's a really difficult thing to say to people because ultimately, you know, the science has come out now, right? We know that was it two years ago where the meta-analysis came out and said that actually your metabolisms don't slow down until we hit 60, right? So that kind of became a thing where people are like, wait, so you're telling me it's not my metabolism? We want something to blame, right? And And I'm not saying that everybody's metabolism isn't necessarily slowing down. That's not what I'm saying at all. But oftentimes it's it's our lifestyle. So how much exercise are you doing? How much stress are you actually experiencing on a day-to-day basis? What's happening with your children? What's happening with your parents? Are you stressed out because you are there caring for the elderly? So there's so many aspects to overall health. And I think when you kind of break these things down and explain to people, there's so many different domains that are responsible for how you manage stress. And ultimately that is going to affect how your body carries fat and how your body builds or or does not build muscle and and therefore is all going to all encompass sort of your metabolism you know and and so i just sort of fell into that just so i can help people create better habits and live healthier and and also continue to to have prs when they're training and love their bodies for the audience what does pr mean personal record so in i mean i'm based in the uk so over here really it's more pb so personal best or personal record so you know whether that is a run and you're shaving off a couple seconds or a couple minutes that is a pr or if you're lifting weights and you know you're adding a few more pounds to it that that's another pr so just a new personal record oh great i know that with me for helping clients 95 percent of the issue is mental and getting through some of those blocks because people don't look at food as fuel for the body. They use it for relieving stress, for entertainment, for pleasure, everything except for what we need it for, and that's to feed our incredible machines, which is our bodies. You had a quote on your website that said, food is food. I don't believe it's good nor bad. It simply is. I would respectfully disagree a little bit with that somewhat because although food made by nature is food. There's a lot of so-called edible products promoted as food here in the U.S. I refer to them as snacks, the, the Doritos, the Cheetos, the chips, because that is all manufactured in laboratories by someone in a white lab coat. And so that's why I don't consider it food. What's your view on some of that stuff? I like that. I think we're just going to have to agree to disagree. I think that and respectfully as well. I think that that is exactly the mentality that causes people to veer between this is good food and this is bad food. Therefore, these are the things that I will only eat and these are the things that I will never eat. And I think when you do struggle with disordered eating behavior and potentially even, you know, moving the slippery slope towards eating disorders and body dysmorphia, there can be these very rigid rules. And so instead of Having a very balanced view on, I mean, I absolutely love Doritos and Cheetos. Having a balanced view on these are the things that I absolutely will eat throughout the week and I will have a Diet Coke every once in a while and and not have the, these are bad food, these I will not eat. Because what happens is that when you create, and we know this because the studies are there, they're out there that say, when you create these negative views on food, that's all you're going to think about. You'll spend the entire week thinking about these foods. 
So instead of having a balanced view where you can say, do you know what? It's a continuum. There isn't good and bad. Food isn't evil and food isn't fantastic. There are foods that will help you achieve your goals. And there are foods that are indeed very nutrient dense. There are foods that are hyper palatable and super processed and probably don't really have a lot of nutrients at all, but they're not necessarily bad. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah. And I come from a very, very sort of different background where, you know, I, I have to work with athletes that refuse to eat anything that is processed and anything that comes out of a packet or anything that is super sugary because they think it's going to be bad for their bodies. Well, I would have to, you know, disagree with that again, because I think when it comes to an athlete's body and when you're completely, you know, so let's just say you're maxing out in your deadlifts or you're doing hill sprints and your, your glycogen levels are completely tanked out. The thing that you are actually going to need is some sort of carb that is fast releasing because you're going to need your glycogen levels replenished. So, you know, maybe a bowl of cereal or a, a granola bar, which would to a normal person who is trying to lose weight might not be ideal to eat before an athlete. That's okay. So I think when we say good food and bad food, I think that there cannot really be clear definitions to what that is because each person is different. A keto diet might be good for this person, but it might not be good for someone else. Does that kind of make sense? Oh, it makes perfect sense. And I agree totally with you. And I agree with you on athletes also. They probably have a better tolerance for, you know, having a snack food as opposed to another person. For me personally, I have to avoid certain foods like M&Ms or Pringles potato chips or Hershey bars because I'm addicted to them. And I know that. And if I have one, I won't stop eating. So for me, it's just similar to a person who's allergic to, to nuts. It's not that they don't want to have it, they can't have it. And, and I love that because I think that that's also really important to, to recognize your triggers. And I think you've done exactly that. You're like, these are my trigger foods. And I know that if I eat them, I can't just have one. I'll have the whole thing. You know, I know what my trigger foods are. Like, I absolutely love Doritos. I have one. And I next thing I know, I look back and I'm like, oh, I've finished the whole bag. So it is really, really important that we do recognize what our triggers are. So perhaps if this is kind of like a not yet food until I figure out how to improve my relationship with my body, how to improve my relationship with food. And then maybe in six months time, you can learn how to eat that food mindfully and maybe have one or two pieces or a very small bowl. And I think that is really important to eventually, it's almost like rehabilitation, right? Of, of reintroducing certain foods back into your life. When are you able to do that so that you can do it in a mindful way so that you can eat the food and taste it and enjoy it, but stop when you're full. Don't eat past the point of being full because your body doesn't need it, right? Like you were saying in the beginning, we eat more than we need to eat. We enjoy foods and there's nothing wrong with that because we eat foods because of the hedonistic pleasures of them. I do. I love food. I love cooking. I love the smell of food and I love presenting food. It's just kind of the culture that I come from. And I think that it's really important to enjoy it. But at the same time, we need to recognize that food, as you say, is fuel for the body. It's not just there to be enjoyed. Yes, you can enjoy it, but it's literally there for your body. 100% agree with you. I also agree that what you focus on expands. And so that way, if you focus on the things that you enjoy that are healthy for you, as opposed to the things that you would like to have that aren't so healthy for you, it's more beneficial that way, because now you're not thinking about 
for me, I don't think about the Hershey bar or the Pringles or the M&Ms. I think about having an apple or, you know, an avocado or, or some, you know, raw nuts instead. So I look for substitutes and that's what I advocate for people. And I also tell people, instead of going cold turkey, stopping everything completely, just reduce the amount that you're having or substitute so that you can control it better. What are your thoughts on that? I love the substitute. I absolutely love that idea or like the the sort of alternative. What is the other option? So I go back to sort of the the continuum. So, you know, I talk about this this food continuum all the time as opposed to like a, a black and white bucket of things you should eat and things you shouldn't eat. So let's just say number one is a food choice that is going to take you furthest from the goal. And number 10 is something that's going to get you moving closest to your goal. So let's just say number 10 is a bowl of kale. You know, like who wants to eat a bowl of kale on its own that's not been cooked and it doesn't have any salt or spices or anything, right? It's just raw kale. And then number one is maybe Doritos. So, okay, it doesn't have to be kale or Doritos. It can be somewhere in a number five. So maybe it's a rice cake. Maybe it's a chocolate rice cake or maybe it's a rice cake that has been flavored. So is it processed? Yeah, absolutely. It's still processed. But does it have to be boring kale and does it have to be Doritos where it's probably 600 calories packed in a tiny bowl. No, it doesn't have to be that either. And I think it's really important to find that substitute. So, okay, well, instead of eating this that you know will definitely take you further from your goal, can we eat something that maybe isn't potentially going to sabotage your goals as much? Oh, it makes perfect sense. I like the fact also when you talk about kale, what I advocate for people is if you don't like something, don't eat it. So even though kale is very healthy for you, or Brussels sprouts are very healthy for you. I don't like kale. I don't like Brussels sprouts, so I don't eat it. I focus on other foods that are healthy that I do like, and that's what I like to advocate to. And and I think that that's really important because people think that in their pursuits, you know, towards health, they have to give up every single thing they love, and they have to start eating things that taste like cardboard. They don't have to. You only have to make like 10%, 25% change and repeat that every single day, but stay consistent with that percentage of change. And you'll be surprised one year from now, you'll look back and you'll go, wow, that was actually easy. And I'm a completely different person, but people think they have to put in a hundred percent effort and that 100% effort maybe lasts for about 24 hours and you're miserable because you can't eat the things that you want to eat. No, I agree 100%. That's what I usually ask people. Would you like to weigh 24 to 48 pounds lighter by this time next year? And for people who need to lose the weight, it's usually yes. And can you lose two to four pounds per month? Not per week, per month. Most people are like, oh yeah, that's doable. Okay, if you do that on average for 12 consecutive months, because some months you'll lose more, some you won't lose any. At the end of the year, you're 24 to 48 pounds lighter. The problem here in the US with the national brands is they are advertising, promoting, lose 15, 20, 30 pounds guaranteed your first month. Well, you may lose it. However, it's not sustainable, nor in my opinion, is it health? Absolutely agree. Absolutely agree. And I, I just wish that more people understood that because the amount of people who come to me and work with me that are, you know, triathletes and they're like, I've been running for a long time. I'm not you know, I'm not losing weight. Why am I not losing weight? And we're like, okay, well, let's look at what's happening. What are your goals? And so someone might say something like, I want to lose 12 pounds. I'm like, okay, that's great. That's, that's totally easy to do. You know, we can do that. What are we looking at? We're looking at six months or what? 12 weeks. I want to lose that in three months. And I'm like, okay, that's possible to do just like you said, 
you absolutely can, but you have to stay within a box. You probably can't go out drinking with your friends. You probably got to eat a specific amount of foods and hit your macros and you're going to feel miserable. And then who knows what's going to happen at the end of the 12 week plan. You're probably going to eat all the chocolates, drink all the beer that you've missed out in the last 12 weeks. And it's just not sustainable. I mean, it absolutely is possible. You know, I've seen people do it and, and I know that some people can even sustain that. But that is a level of commitment that most people are unwilling to make, even athletes, because people want to live life. Exactly. And what I notice when people make New Year's resolutions, after three weeks, if the scale hasn't moved, they get frustrated. And a lot of times they make the resolution to work out and exercise more, eat healthier, and they're doing it and everything's going great. And then they get on the scale and the scale hasn't moved. And so they get frustrated thinking it's not working. I had a client that I was working with and after three weeks, he said to me, I'm doing everything I'm supposed to. How come the scale hasn't moved? So I asked him, are you exercising more? He says, yeah, I'm walking five miles, riding my bicycle. I said, how do your clothes fit? He goes, oh, they're loose. And oh, people are asking me if I'm losing weight. However, I'm not. And I said, don't go by the scale. What you're doing is you're replacing the fat with muscle. And muscle and fat weigh the exact same amount. Five pounds is five pounds. The difference is muscle is denser and takes up a lot less room. So that's what I tell people is don't go by the scale. Go by how your clothes are feeling. Yeah, absolutely. I have a check-in form when I check in with my clients and we look at the stats. And the weight is all the way at the bottom. And I do that on purpose because I want them to not worry so much about it. In fact, I say, leave it blank if you think it's going to trigger you. So here are the things that we look at. We look at what's your sleep like? What's your energy like when you're at the gym? Do you have any new PRs? What's your mood like, right? So we check all of these stats. How are you feeling? How do your clothes fit? Maybe maybe you're doing progress photos. We do one at week one, week six, week 12, and so on and so forth. And, and the weight is all the way at the bottom because ultimately your body composition can change without the weight changing at all. And one thing that I always talk to people about, and this is something that I talk to my children about because obviously it's something that, it affects all of us is that you have your outcome goal at the end and you have your mastery goals. And the mastery goals I talk about are things like the habits, the things that you can actually control, things that are within your sphere of control, like you're drinking the water, you're trying to get more sleep, you're hitting your protein targets, you're eating your vegetables. The outcome goal are things like new PRs, faster runs, heavier deadlifts, or, or weight loss. You don't know what exactly is going to happen when you get to the end. You cannot control the outcome goal, but you 100% can control your behaviors that are going to get you towards that outcome goal. So never mind what's going to happen there. Granted, I get it's frustrating if you work really hard and you get there and you're like, nothing's happening, but ultimately you can control this. So control the things that you can control because that's where the value is. Oh, I agree. And what I usually tell people is not so much about the weight is, Number one, you'll have more energy, you'll feel better, you'll have better mental clarity, and you'll improve your overall health. So it may not show up on the scale per se, yet you're going to notice more energy and feeling better. That's important. Now, when you work with athletes, do you have them count calories or are they concerned about calorie intake at all? I don't. I, I specifically avoid calories because, you know, as I said, most of the people that I do work with have had a sort of negative relationship with counting calories and, and food. So we start, we start from the beginning. We say, okay, well, let's just increase our protein. We focus on two things, protein and, and vegetables. People who actually want to physically track their food, 
we will track and we will just track the macros. Obviously, macros will come with calories because food doesn't come without calories. So macros will absolutely have to come with the calories. But I say focus on the number of the macros and ignore the calories. So that means that on some days, if you're eating, you know, oily fish as protein and the next day you're eating just chicken breast as protein, your calorie numbers are going to fluctuate up and down. And I say, don't worry about that. That's absolutely fine because your calorie is going to fluctuate anyway. And who knows exactly what your energy expenditure is doing exactly every single day? Who knows? Some days you're sitting down at the desk all day. Some days you're walking the dog a lot. We don't actually know exactly how our bodies work. So as long as you're kind of hitting the targets of the macronutrients, you know, within, let's just say 10, 15 grams of accuracy, it's absolutely fine. And I tell them all the time, it doesn't matter how you track your food. I've got clients that do prefer to weigh their food because they want to know exactly how much they're eating, which I try to avoid. But I have clients that write a food journal and send me a food journal every day. I have some clients that take pictures of their food and put their hands next to the food so they can show me what it looks like. And then they just send me their food diary that way. So I say to them, it doesn't matter how you track your food, as long as you are consistent with the method that you're tracking and you're consistent in your efforts on hitting those targets. That's excellent. When you talk about macros, can you explain to the audience what you mean by macros? Because a lot of people in the audience may not understand that. So macronutrients, I mean, obviously alcohol is a macronutrient as well, but that's not something you know we're going to mention here. So macronutrients really, for the sake of simplifying things, we're talking about protein, carbs, and fats, basically. So as athletes or as anybody who wants to lose weight, you know, you'll hear people talk about it all the time. You need protein because protein has a higher thermic effect of food, meaning that essentially the more protein you eat, because protein actually takes more energy to absorb, you're actually essentially burning more energy to consume protein, if that makes sense. So that's why we do encourage people to eat more protein. Protein also helps you to, to build muscle, right? So that means that it is going to help you increase your metabolism and also protein helps you to feel fuller. So, you know, protein has got many, many benefits. So if anybody's looking to lose weight, basically that's what I get them on. Make sure that you're hitting your protein targets. Protein is the hardest target to hit because it's just not as palatable as cheese, which is fats, right? Or like a donut, which is like carbs. So it is hard, hard to hit. And then you've got your carbs. So we focus on the vegetables and the protein. And next, as athletes, I get them to focus on carbs. Now, obviously, carbs get a bad rap because most people think that carbs make you fat. Again, this is the sort of, you know, when I say it depends, it depends on who you are as an individual. And it depends on what your goals are. Like you said to yourself earlier that athletes do have a higher tolerance of, of carbohydrates. And they probably do need that more than the average person who's, you know, athletes are moving all the time. So they need carbs. So that's kind of like the next rung down. That's what I focus on. And then after that, we focus on the healthy fats. And as you know, there's a big difference between a simple carbohydrate, which is mostly sugar and a complex carbohydrate, which are the grains. And people sometimes get those confused because it's all lumped into one category of carbohydrate. Yeah. Yeah. And, and vegetables, vegetables are carbs as well, aren't they technically? And fruits. But yeah, they yeah. don't get absorbed the same. Now, with protein, there's different types of protein powders out there. There's some that are plant-based and there's some that are whey, which is dairy-based. Do you have a preference for one or the other, or do you have an opinion on those? I don't. As, as a coach, I do tend to tell people to find the protein powder that they are most comfortable with, meaning 
that they think that they can stomach every single day and not get bored of, that they can stomach and not get any digestive issues because some people just can't do whey. In that case, if they do, then I say maybe try pea protein or maybe try soy. There are so many different options out there. But for me, it's just some sort of protein powder that is going to help you know, make sure that you're hitting your protein target. So I do get all of my athletes to make sure that they are taking some sort of protein powder, but it doesn't really matter what kind they take. That's terrific. Yeah, I, I take a protein powder and I'm a chocoholic. So how I get my chocolate fixes, I have 100% organic cacao, which is different than cocoa. It's the same from the same source, just a different process. Yeah. So when I add the cacao powder in, it gives it the chocolatey taste. So that's how I get my chocolate fix each day. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. There's there's always, you know, ways that you can work around your favorite foods and, and kind of get your fixes in. You mentioned water. In the US, 75% of the US population is chronically dehydrated, meaning they don't drink enough water. And in my opinion, there's a direct correlation to people being overweight because 72% of the US adult population is overweight of which 42% are clinically obese. Do you find that in the UK that there's an issue with people drinking enough water? That's an interesting question. That's something that I'm not familiar with. I'm not familiar with the research around hydration. That's an interesting question. I can't really comment on that, but I would suspect that a lot of people, I don't know if it's most, but I would suspect that a lot of people probably don't drink enough, probably, and I'm as guilty myself, I tend to turn to the the coffees and, and, you know, the teas because they have more flavor. Yeah. I would suspect that most people probably don't drink enough. Yeah. And the reason I promote a lot of water for people is that our bodies are 60 to 70% water and it's not soda or diet soda or fruit juices or fruit flavored beverages. And I also drink black coffee and I count that as my water intake because it's so fluid. Yeah. Fluid intake basically. Yeah. So that's, that's why I think water is so important. And for athletes, when they're perspiring more, sweating more, it's probably even more important for them to rehydrate properly. Absolutely. I mean, you can have like a 0.5% loss of body water loss and, and your aerobic ability would suffer. So yeah, absolutely. I, I tell my athletes that all the time, especially those that are going into competition. If you are not hydrated well enough coming into a competition that you're already going to fall behind your peers. So it's, it's important to know. And, and I think the thing that I always say to people is that thirst is not a reliable sign of dehydration because you don't even realize you're, you're dehydrated, you know, by the time you're thirsty, you were already dehydrated. So, you know, it's always just getting that reminder in then make sure that you do drink water before you go into a competition. Oh, absolutely. Especially, you know, I live in Arizona with, in Phoenix area, which is desert. And because of it being a dry heat and there's not a lot of humidity, a lot of times people don't realize that they're perspiring and they're losing the fluids when they are. So that's why it's important. And then a lot of times people always ask me, well, how much water should I be drinking? And I always tell them it's a minimum of 64 ounces or one half of your total body weight. So if you're weighing 200 pounds, you need to drink at least 100 ounces of water. And I know with professional athletes, you know, depending on how strenuous the exercise program is, they can drink as much as a gallon or two to rehydrate. Yeah. 
Yeah, for sure. I mean, for for me, when we talk about dehydration, in fact, I did a blog not too long ago in the summer because it we had a heat wave over here, actually. You guys did over there. I think we had a heat wave everywhere. And I, I talked about hyponatremia, which happens when people drink too much water too quickly, therefore flushing out their salt levels. And so that is another level of, of, you know, another type of dehydration or not necessarily dehydration, but another type of hydration strategy that people just need to look out for. And I think especially for athletes as well, because they're sweating so much and there's so much salt and water coming out. So there's this temptation to drink as much water as possible, as quickly as possible. So I'm just like, make sure that you get your electrolytes in as well. So that's another kind of strategy that I try to get people to focus on. It's not, it's not just chugging as much water and as quickly as you can make sure that the waters are in there and the salts are in there as well. Yeah. Throughout the day, just keep hydrating. And the other thing is a lot of times when we think we're hungry, we're actually thirsty. Yeah, that's a really, yeah, that's such a good reminder because that's very true. I mean, you know, outside of stress eating or boredom eating, that is another thing that drink a glass of water. If after you drink that water, if you're not hungry anymore, then it was probably thirst. If you are hungry, then it probably is genuine hunger. Exactly. How can people reach out to you and connect with you? I am on Instagram. My handle name is at munchies and macros. So with an underscore in between the words, and I can also be found on www.munchiesandmacros.com. And you work with athletes that are age 40 and above, or do you work with other athletes who are younger than 40? I do. I actually do have a few athletes that are not quite of master's age. So I do work with all athletes. I mean, these are recreational athletes, people that want to improve in the sport that they do that have perhaps noticed some changes in their bodies and just need a little bit of support. Those are the people that I work with. What about the people who are in their 50s and 60s? I do actually have clients in the 50s as well. 60s, not quite there yet. I have worked with a client who was 55. So a triathlete in his mid-50s. Oh, that's terrific. Yeah, I, I just hiked Kilimanjaro uh, this past June. How was that? It was fun. And I'm 67. So wow, that was, that was a lot of fun. That's why I was asking. How long did it take you? It was eight days. Wow. Yeah, it was eight day trip. Uh, I trained for it. There's the White Tank Mountains real close to us. So I was able to go hiking up there. Yeah. That's why I tell people age is just a number. It's how you take care of your body. For sure. What piece of advice could you give the audience before we leave? Let's see. Gosh, so much out there. Start slow and to be patient. I feel like, you know, what we were saying before is that when people create goals, they create goals that are not realistic. So when goal setting, make them follow the SMART acronym. So make it specific, make it measurable, make it achievable, make it relatable to your goal and make it time bound. Because if it doesn't follow all of these things, you're just going to have these wishy-washy goals and it's just going to just be thrown out there forever. So I just want to lose weight isn't as specific and it doesn't carry as much weight as I want to lose 12 pounds in 12 months, right? So it's specific, it's measurable, and it's realistic. So I think when creating goals, make them as specific and measurable and as realistic as possible so that 
you decrease your chances of frustrations and roadblocks. Awesome. Has there been one or two people that have had a big influence on your career? You mean my athletes and the things that they have achieved or, or, and yeah, anything that has, you know, has one person personally influenced you one way or the other or had a positive impact on you? Oh, influenced me. Oh gosh. So, so many people out there. I mean, probably not specifically famous athletes, but I follow everyday athletes on Instagram and I follow some of the athletes are, there's actually a lady who's in her seventies and she is a phenomenal athlete. I think, I believe on her profile page, she says that she got her first pull up when she was in her sixties. And I think that she can do a muscle up now, which is where you pull up and you push your body up and she's in her seventies. And these are the people that I follow and I look at them and it becomes, it almost becomes the norm. So I still think I'm really young. I'm in my forties and I literally think that I'm a baby because I'm looking at these athletes that are in their sixties and seventies and doing things like you going out and not letting, you know, their age hold them back. And these are the very people that inspire me every single day because their grandparents are out there and they're flinging their grandkids about and they're fitter than their grandkids. And, and these are the people that inspire me every day. That's, that's what I want to be. Yeah. What about books? Has there been a, a book or two that you can recommend to the audience that you like? Yeah. So two of my favorite books. So one is a neuroscience book and the other one, I think it's just habit creation. They're both up there actually. So one is emotional agility, Dr. Susan David, absolutely love her. And the other one is called You Are Not Your Brain by Dr. Jeffrey Schwartz, who is a neuroscientist. So just talking about creating habits and how to, you know, consistently create the life that you want through repeated actions. Oh, terrific. I appreciate your suggestions for the audience for that. I'm always looking for books to read. So that's why I asked the question. (laughs) Once again, how can the audience reach you? I am on Instagram at munchies underscore and underscore macros. And I can also be found online, www.munchiesandmacros.com. Terrific. Well, Sherry, it's been a pleasure having you as a guest. I really appreciate the conversation and all the information you shared. So thank you. Thank you very much, David, for having me on your show. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Stop Dieting Podcast. Remember to like and subscribe so you won't miss a single episode to get more healthy eating and lifestyle tips. Motivate and inspire others to be healthy by sharing with your friends. 